Welcome to this week's episode of Movie Magpies, where we'll be discussing The Big Sick. See, that was easy. (laughs) Was it? Yeah. I don't know. Hey everybody, I'm Will, and today with me is my co-host Monique. Hi! Um, Before we start talking about the movie today, we just wanted to give you a bit of a summary on what the movie The Big Sick is about. So this movie is available on Netflix, and the Netflix synopsis is Sparks fly between a comedian and a grad student, but his Muslim's family expectations destroy their romance. When she falls ill, he must take a stand. And that's the synopsis. I think it's a really interesting movie. Uh, what do you reckon, Will? Yeah, you introduced me to this movie, and first time we watched it, I think I fell asleep halfway through. Which is so incredibly upsetting (laughs) to me. Yeah, and then second time, yeah, I definitely understand why it is so good, and Mm. I, yeah, I really liked it. With this one, obviously, if you didn't grasp from the summary, there is a little bit of warning for, um, severe illness, um, and there are a lot of discussions around, like, hospitals and sickness, so... Just be warned, I know personally coming from a medical family, watching this was a little intense at times, so I just want to give that as a bit of a warning. Yeah. I do find it really interesting that the synopsis is more, like, focused around uh, the main character, Kumal's family, because for me, definitely that was what it was, like, in terms of a, a followable or readable story, that was the one thing that stuck with me consistently. Yeah, for me, there's kind of the two sides of the story, which obviously is his family and his relationship with um, the grad student, whose name is Emily. Yeah, Emily. And I also find it interesting that, like, a big part of the movie is not really his relationship with her, but his relationship with his own family and also her family. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really nice look into sort of expectation Mm. versus inner self, I suppose, would be the word that I would choose. Um, And it really, for me, this is just like one of those stories where, yeah, it's very slice of life. It's got the sort of like romance to it. But um, the stakes don't have to be high for the story to be fulfilling. Like they don't have to be life or death or the whole world's going to get destroyed or like they can be small and personal and still be so fulfilling and relatable and like take you through a journey. So... Yeah, and what I love is that there is no, like, big bad villain. There's no there's no character in this movie we're going to keep coming back to about this film, is that it's very real. Yeah, very real, um, very relatable, I yeah. suppose, would be the word that I think you and I kept using was relatable. Yeah. Um, there was a little bit there where I'm, we're writing notes uh, and I'm just messaging Will and I'm like, I'm sad. <laughs> Our group. I don't want to watch this anymore. Not yeah. by myself. For, for all you viewers at home, our group one note just became just a chat room for a little bit while we talked about our feelings, which is a testament to this film because it made us do that. Yeah, we're both taking notes in tandem. Obviously, um, Will and I live a bit far away from each other at the moment. Yes. And of course, stay at home, stay safe. So we use our one note to sort of write our notes and then yesterday we just so happened to watch the film at the same time so yeah. that was a very interesting experience watching it together but not really it really um, did work out well for us yeah hey and then we ended up at one point just we weren't writing notes we were just making <laughs> like sad faces at each other <laughs> well here's the here's the one thing the one thing that like about this movie there's very little for me to criticize and with all my years of 
you know, study and learning in film, there's, of course, a great deal that I can talk about, but the cinematography is, it suits its purpose. The music is fine and it fits the, you know, fits everything in the film. But the only thing that actually stands out, like, solidly about this film is its story. There's no, you know, there's no, there's no life-changing cinematography or camera direction. And it's, it's really nice to see a film where they're focusing on what shot conveys the plot and like what shot helps you move the story along and understand the story rather than like which shot is the prettiest um it's entirely different um to you know other movies that you see where like every second shot is like a beautiful picture um and Mm. there's that you know you should be able to pause the movie at any given time and have like a beautiful still um this movie doesn't really do that but it makes it to me feel more like a home movie it really really suits the dynamic um and the storyline of that sort of real grounded world slice of life well the thing i was going to say is that none of the none of the frames are designed to be beautiful or striking visually they're they're designed to look as real as possible and it's the the only criticism i have with the camera direction or anything like that is that like all of the filmmaking and all the cinematography is done to make it look real, but at points because it's all handheld. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. There's a bit of sort of shaky camera work. Yeah, that can almost be not jarring. It can be quite unnerving at points. You know, in in points where there's high tension, you have like this little bit of camera wobble, and you just feel like you're there in this situation, standing in the corner. Mm, watching mm. it like happen. if you've ever um if you're somebody who's ever experienced like bouts of anxiety or like uh anxiety attacks sometimes it does feel like you're standing there and like the world is shaking so it yeah. really does pull you into the moment in those spots and then even in the areas that aren't supposed to be tense with the little sort of handheld like camera movement that yeah. you get um, I don't know, it just makes it feel homey to me. I just feel like, That's oh, it's a cute little family video. Because yeah. <laughs> the one thing I'd always learned in, you know, camera operation is if you do handheld in films, it's usually meant to convey discomfort in a situation. It's usually used in high, you know, points of high tension. So I, like, I'm not saying that they've done this wrong. I'm just saying it's interesting that it was used this way because ultimately there were there are definitely shots that could have been done on a tripod and it would have probably had the same effect but the fact that they went with just purely handheld for the whole thing does really build its immersion and you get used to it after you know a good five minutes. I feel like if they didn't do it the places where they couldn't or didn't use a tripod and yeah. you did have that handheld effect it would have felt either a out of place or you would have gotten more of that sort of unnerving feeling. I feel like cause it went the whole way through it just helped make everything feel cohesive almost. Yeah, well that was yeah that was what I was going to say next and that the fact that they do it for the entire film just means that if they, you know, that you're never going to get that jarring change of camera position or movement. So mm. I think in in a sense it uses that to its benefit where it's always handheld. So you get used to the fact that the camera is always kind of shifting and wobbling just a little bit. Uh-huh. I think my only other sort of remark that I'd noted with the camera work was this is one of those films where even though they're in like a quote-unquote dark room, you can still really clearly see the characters' faces. And I just yeah. 
I really love that. Thank you. That's one of my biggest gripes when you move into like a movie and they're like, oh, we're in a dark cave. And you're like, cool, I can't see shit. <laughs> yeah, the lighting is purposeful and I personally love that. There's a scene very early on where Kumal drives Emily back to her place and mm. both both characters are perfectly lit, which probably means that someone had like rigged a light to the outside of the car into, you know, the back seat of the car so that Emily's face could be lit and it's all it's not necessarily realistic because she's always perfectly lit. Her face is always perfectly lit in the scene. I didn't even but it's think purposeful, about that. Which is How amazing. How would people film in a car? Like filming driving scenes do you either have to film them like one little bit at a time are you not actually driving like well here's the thing i actually know how to do that because i i've been trained in interior car rigging so so well it depends on which shot that kind of shot you just kind of put the camera on the dashboard and ideally strap it down so it doesn't fly off if you hit the brakes but yeah, it's, it's not incredibly difficult to rig a, a camera inside a car. Mm. There are certain ways to do it outside of the car, but those usually are for, you know, exterior car shots through the window, you know, st things like that. Interesting. But I just yeah. like thinking safety-wise, like, there's got to be some level of, like, driving distraction. Oh, yeah, there's always a risk, a but you're making a film. And I think one of the biggest <laughs> rules is that you usually don't drive too fast. One of the yeah, like you can never yeah. reach beyond a certain speed limit in Australia. That's fifty kilometers an hour. You can never drive faster than that with a camera in the car, oh. a camera rigged in the car. Yeah, as I said, I'm trained in this sort of thing. I have rigged a cinema camera into the interior of an SUV before, and we used like certain straps that I won't name, but uh, they broke and the camera almost collapsed inside the car. So ultimately, safety is a huge precaution. I'm sorry, we're getting a little sidetracked, <laughs> but if you decide to rig a camera inside the back seat of a car, you usually can only have one attendee in the back seat to make sure that the camera is on and working and not falling over. But yeah, mm. it's possible. It's always you know possible to rig inside a car. There are just safety requirements that come with it. Fair enough. I uh, suppose we should get yeah. back a little bit back Let's on topic. Back to the movie. All of the scenes are very well lit, even the car scenes, mm. which is very interesting because filming in a car is easy but hard at the same time, <laughs> as we've just discussed. <laughs> well, it's it's yeah, it's easy, but there's it, that comes with a modicum of risk. So it's always it's really nice in this film that the lighting specifically is just done with so much purpose. Yeah. As opposed to style. Even, you know. like, the shots. Like, you're not always... I feel like in some movies, especially romance movies, you're always looking at, like, one of the romantic interests. Like... Yeah. The, like, either one half of the couple, basically. You're always looking at them or their face. I feel like they don't really do that as much in this movie. I feel like they more no. focus on the situation as a whole rather than just the character, which is super cool yeah. to me. And I, I like how they kind of make an approach to if we've got, like... You know, in, in some of the comedy scenes, we've got like four or five people in this scene. How do we light this realistically enough so that it's not going to take people out of it, but we can still see everyone? And the characters themselves are super interesting because obviously several of the characters in this movie are actual comedians. So yeah. name-wise and everything, they're using that sort of structure. And the first time I watched it, it kind of pulled me out of the movie a little bit, but uh, second and third time watching it, it didn't bother me. Yeah, no, I it 
It never really bothered me, but I think that's probably because I'm not quite as into uh, Bo Burnham. As... Yeah, no, I will admit I saw Bo Burnham and was like the yeah. meme of um, Leonardo DiCaprio pointing. I was like, it's Bo. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it, like I don't. See, I've never really seen Bo Burnham in anything, so it didn't take it out too much for me. But yeah, I can I can definitely see that because spoilers. This is based on a true story. And I'm using that spoiler sarcastically. Yeah. Before we started the podcast, I looked up just the big sick Wikipedia or, and various like reviews and stuff, and there were like four or five questions. Is the big sick based on re- a real story? And I'm just like, God, they tell you that. Yeah, the at film. the very end of the movie, like you get the the... <laughs> you know, this is based on a true story and you get, like, pictures yeah. of the actual people and it's very cute. Which, I suppose, is why it's so realistic as well, is because it is... Because it's based on a true real. story, yeah. yeah. And and I that ultimately makes sense why everything is done with such purpose as opposed to style, because they wanted to present a real story in a realistic way. Mm-hmm. And so, even in situations of, like family tension it feels like real because it probably is based on a real event or a real situation within Kumal's family which was actually quite tense so it yeah, definitely draws from I it. Yeah, can I say just every single time he's at like a dinner with his family and there's like a silence mm. or um, his mother brings someone in to the table, I just palpably like felt that in my chest like this movie does a really good job of conveying awkward uncomfortable tense situations sort of to the point where the secondhand embarrassment started getting pretty real at some points yeah no i definitely felt that as well all the family scenes when the family is as a collective it's incredibly awkward and you definitely feel this sense of discomfort just throughout it because you're looking at it through the main character's eyes and through his lens and it's all very uncomfortable because the mother is trying to set him up with an arranged marriage and is bringing women you know to every single family dinner and and like one of my first notes is that about the family is that they're they're not incredibly supportive of him no, yeah. I I think one of my first ones was that the sibling dynamic was really, really accurate. Yeah, sure. But no one in the family seemed to, like, listen. They all no. just spoke. Like, there was a lot of talking, but not a lot of, like, actual conversation. Yeah, and, you know, the, the main aspects about Kumal's life he wants to be a comedian you know he wants to live his own life they're just like swept under the rug within the family dynamic because they don't believe that they believe that that's like the lowest tier of life for him he should be aiming higher and in that respect they do care about him of course but they have these expectations yeah it's that that he wants i guess that must be relatable for a lot of people um that sort of your family caring about you and wanting to support you but also wishing for you to do something more fiscally responsible Mm. with your life and sort of rather than following your passions following something that will give you a good career he does it really well it's really really easy to step into Kamal's shoes 
during the movie and sort of see where he's coming from. And there's like a lot of very, very interesting and like uncomfortable topics brought up within the family dynamic versus, of course, arranged marriage. The fact that the mother, whenever she brings someone in to set him up with, it's played for amusement. Like they sort of sit there. um, I think it's the first time we see one of the arranged marriages and the doorbell rings and she goes, oh, I wonder who that could be and like walks off. And everybody around the table is like, oh, you know, five bucks that she just dropped by or something like that is mentioned and it's played for laughs but then when she actually brings the person in there's like silence no one reacts to it they're all just quite like uncomfortably polite um and you get this really good in my opinion juxtaposition between like oh lol she does this all the time and the fact that it's actually very uncomfortable yeah and i think the humor is in i think many people can probably agree it's it's a defense mechanism towards the discomfort and throughout the film i think the mother is the only one who directly confronts or doesn't appreciate kumal's sense of humor so it's why in many of the situations he doesn't have a sense of humor around her Mm-hmm. And I find mm-hmm. his throwaway joke, who can bet that it's going to be another person? I think it's used to highlight that, you know, how many times this has happened rather mm. than make a joke, if anything. Yeah, it's like he's got one of those like little boxes um, sitting in his room. And when he comes home, he opens it and he chucks the picture of the girl on top, like yeah. the, the profile um into his box and you get just from that scene of him chucking it in the nonchalance at which he's just doing this for his mother um, and his family and the fact that it's happened many times before would you agree with me that at the start of the film kumal definitely comes across as very much like he intends to be a people pleaser he wants to make people he just wants to keep people happy even if that means just passively going along with things. He he seems very, very passive throughout yeah. a lot of the movie. And wherever he's making jokes, the jokes are usually to make an uncomfortable situation or attempt to make an uncomfortable situation more comfortable for him or for yeah. people around him. He's definitely trying to make people laugh, even if it's an awkward laugh. Like, he's just like, oh, aha, look, this is so funny. It's, yeah, absolutely. He, he feels like a bystander in his own life to me. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of what's happening. But that's the the way this film works. I don't think, like, Kumal is definitely the main character, for sure. But this mm. is about Kumal's life, not necessarily about Kumal. As a result, you know, we see things happen around him as well as to him, and he's not necessarily always the subject of the story. He's, you know? yeah, he's not always the subject of the story. He's, it's more what the story is doing to him like he's not the catalyst uh, and he's not what drives the plot forward until like maybe the last third of the movie is when he sort of starts doing things I would say even maybe the last quarter of the movie is when we really start to see Kumal come into his own um, and sort of take the reins but obviously that's for a little bit further down in our conversation i kind of want to talk (laughs) about emily we've kind of pushed her to the wayside yeah we'll get we'll get on to emily for sure because it's super important it's the love interest (laughs) the love interest the you know the soul of this story is about them meeting but i was going to just quickly say about kumal before i lose this train of thought he only really starts to take action but by the end but you can see the development as it goes and i think that 
really is like a testament to this movie and this, you know, story. That I think does... it's a testament to the pacing of the yeah, movie. Yeah, absolutely. The pacing is incredible because it manages to compress time without ever losing sense of what the stories of what's happened in the story. But we should talk about Emily as well before we get further on into it. Their little meet cute is so funny to me. Um, yeah. He's doing stand up at this bar and he asks if anyone's from Pakistan and she puts her hand up. Uh, <laughs> and I just really, really like it because they immediately have this chemistry because she puts her hand up and he sort of has this, oh, you think you're funny type of like vibe with her. Hmm. Um, and then. She, doesn't she woo? No, she doesn't woo. She He goes, oh, okay. um, My mistake. is anyone from here from. Pakistan. Yeah, Pakistan. Or is anybody Pakistani? Um, and she puts her hand up and he goes, really, I feel like I would have seen you, you know, because oh, right. she's yeah. white. Um, <laughs> she's Caucasian. And they have, he has a bit of like dialogue in his stand-up with her and then they move to after the stand-up where he walks over to her and sort of starts flirting and her friend who was with her sort of like stands up and walks away. Yeah, I think she gets the hint. Yeah, and they have, like, a really engaging and amusing banter. Like, it's not... Yeah. It's, it's very real. I think we've said that a lot. Is the conversation that feels fluid. It's fluid. Yeah. There are silences and pauses, but yeah. they feel natural. It's not like, hmm. you say your line, you say your line. You know, it's very push and pull. Well, yeah, and um, that was something and I was going to say, is that what this film does with silence is actually really interesting because the mood or atmosphere of the silence is dependent on the people Kumal is with mm-hmm. in that with Emily the silence is actually heartwarming and it's bringing the two characters closer together whereas the silence in his family is pushing them apart yeah there's the sort of comfortable versus uncomfortable silences yeah. Uh, and it is entirely dependent on who he's talking to and the topic of conversation, which is super interesting. I just really like this film. I really like Emily and Kamal's relationship. They go on this sort of date and they end up, you know, pretty quickly going back to his apartment and they both sort of do the, oh, I'm not dating yeah, they anybody give each other right excuses. now. And then we see them on their next date and it's mm. sort of that feel of even though they said that they wouldn't see each other anymore they like immediately almost um back together i think one of my favorite points where you can really see their relationship develop and blossom is um the diner scene or the bathroom scene (laughs) where emily is trying to like is in their house and it's like 3 a.m or something she's trying to leave to the diner because she wants to go to the bathroom and she doesn't want to do it in this house Mm. and it's super cute it's really really funny and it shows their relationship really well it's like a small moment but a like big developmental moment for them um and i really really like watching it especially when she sort of comes out and they're sitting in front of his sort of like apartment complex together and he just goes like so how are you or something to that effect like it's just very very cute oh yeah it's adorable like a lot of bonding moments i think do come from weird things like that like it's all well and good to get along great with someone but as will and i could probably attest even with our friendship a lot of like bonding moments come from the weird or the like yeah the weird situations of potential awkwardness yeah yeah no absolutely and yeah the non-diner bathroom scene is definitely like 
super cute and it's a really interesting point because they get an opportunity to be honest in a moment of you know self-deprecation or embarrassment and it ends up going really well everybody gets what they want and nobody's necessarily embarrassed too much about it or no one's feelings are hurt and it's a really interesting moment in the film for sure because I also feel like people are honest in this film like brutally honest in this film oh yeah there's people are very very I reckon you're this way or I reckon you're that yeah. way it's refreshing and also kind of jarring in a way because they just tell it like it is yeah it's definitely surprising I think because it's really surprising to see every single person you meet in this film is just brutally honest from the you know perspective of course but brutally honest about other people to a fault where mm -hmm. it's like that thing that one of the characters could have said definitely could have hurt someone's feelings they said it anyway and then the world keeps turning yeah and they use this for both good moments and bad moments so yeah. we just talked about a point where they were very brutally honest in the sort of bathroom scene and mm. then a couple scenes after that that uh kumal and his brother are playing baseball baseball thank yeah. you i want to say cricket and then i was like cricket, no i think that's cricket, an australian no. thing and they're sort of sitting in the diner kumal tells his brother about emily and the fact that he's been seeing quote-unquote a white girl um and they're very very real in that moment i think they get into a bit of an argument it pulls on the heartstrings about yeah. sort of arranged marriage you know that it's coming because this has been the main sort of like issue of the film is the fact that he doesn't tell his family about Emily yeah. but then the brother says mum will fucking ghost you I think is the quote that I put down and it's yeah. really honest and upsetting and it speaks volumes on the family that he sort of opens up and says hey I'm dating this girl but she's not Pakistani and his family is immediately like oh okay well you'll get over her really quickly you can't yeah. stay with her. Yeah, and it's it's such a, almost like a taster into the heavier scenes to come, this baseball scene where we're given an instance of knowing that the two sons are talking about it in this way, like, she will fucking ghost you. Mm. And it's not a throwaway joke or jokey line. It's, it's played very, genuine, very straight, yeah. Yeah, it's a genuine, like, concern coming from his brother. It's this weird point where you know that you don't fully understand the dynamic of this family but you can understand it because we're looking at it through Kumal's perspective yeah and I think one of my notes on this is you know it's coming you know leading yeah. into this conversation that there's going to be a second where his brother says something along the lines of drop it drop her it's not what our family wants for you type of thing, but it yeah. still catches you off guard. Like, even... I've watched this movie, I think, three times in the last year, mm. and every single time that scene just catches me. Like, I'm never prepared for it. Yeah. Little scenes like that are scattered throughout the early part of the film because it leads up to a point where you can always feel the conflict of the film coming. Mm -hmm. and you're not sure when it's going to happen and your assumption is that it's going to happen halfway through the film because this is a romantic comedy the conflict always comes in the middle but mm -hmm. the, it doesn't it comes like very a early later. oh i was going to say very early as oh, in like very early. the the stereotypical the hints of it, conflict. yeah the yeah 
the I'm, stereotypical conflict. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I mean, I'm with. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, like in in all films, there's always a conflict. Since we're looking at a romantic comedy, the stereotypical conflict in this sense is that the girlfriend or the love interest would find out about the secret, and we get to that point. We like feel that point coming mm-hmm. early on through the film, but then it happens quite early in the film and it's it's almost jarring how early it happens yeah it is incredibly jarring especially because before that we were getting like juxtapositional shots between like him at the family dinner setups with like these girls being incredibly stiff versus the very very casual time of him spending like couch time or just like chilling around with emily and it really shows where he's comfortable versus where he's expected to be comfortable really really well and then almost incredibly quickly after that we get to this big secret being revealed and you kind of go whoa whoa wait wait there's still a lot of time left on this movie what's going on you know definitely the first time i watched this i was like wait we got like an hour left of the film holy shit what's Mm -hmm. what what's gonna i mean ultimately you kind of have an expectation that more's gonna happen since the title of the film is the big sick but this is for for most people who watch romantic comedies, this is definitely a crisis point kind of situation where she doesn't want to talk to him ever again because of this secret that he's been keeping. Just a few scenes earlier, she'd revealed to him that she had been married, and this isn't this like also isn't like this huge spoiler because it comes good forty minutes, not forty minutes, twenty minutes into the film. Yeah, and... it's really even hard to pick spoilers for this movie. Like, yeah. um, because of the way that it's laid out and because, you know, like, we read the synopsis to you and in the summary it says family expectations destroy their romance. You know, like, yeah. we were, you see it coming. It's not a spoiler. It's part of the storyline um, so integrally. But it still comes so quickly and then obviously she's talking about the fact that she's been married before um and in that same scene where they're talking about that she says something like i am overwhelmed by you i think were her words yeah um when talking about how she wasn't expecting to fall for kumal and it's it's really really relatable it it's played really well as this sort of he took her marriage or her previous marriage pretty well all things yeah. considering they're out at like a fancy book restaurant i don't know what they're doing i think they were doing like a wine, wine tasting, tasting. Yeah. yeah but it's like in a library it kind of adult shit yeah mm, exactly and uh he asked so like, like i'm knows, not 23 no one has to know we're adults <laughs> <laughs> But she says she says something along the lines of when you're an alcoholic, a really good way to cover it is knowing a lot about wine. And she like mentions that it's because she was unhappy in her last marriage. Yeah. And Kamal's like, whoa, hang on, you just dropped like a really big piece of information. And they go back to banter after having that conversation, but it doesn't quite hit the same as all of their other banter because there's a bit of a yeah, it's it's sort of overshadowed. Yeah, tension. There's mm. still some underlying tension there. And then a little bit later, she finds out that he's been keeping a secret. And he sort of shoots back with, well, you didn't tell me you were married. And she's like, except I did. I chose yeah. to tell you that. And it's like a really big point. 
Mm, yeah, and I think for the 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 fight scene or argument scene, it's it's this point of as we all as we we've been saying multiple times, this film is relatable to a T, but it's it's sometimes uncomfortably relatable in that in this moment of conflict where Kumal has been for most of the film a very passive kind of bystander in situations when he's having to meet with conflict he just he spouts the wrong responses yeah they both escalate incredibly quickly and it gets really messy really fast yeah and you're right it is uncomfortably relatable because how many times have you been in a situation where somebody's done something that makes you uncomfortable or something set you off in a specific conversation and you've immediately gone on the defensive or immediately like gone on the attack and escalated the situation that probably could have been handled more civil civilly just because your emotions are too high yeah too many to count when you questioned my pointless research last week (laughs) (laughs) no i'm not i'm not even gonna pretend (laughs) you love me yeah ultimately like the fight scene is really so good because it's so uncomfortable to be Mm -hmm. in and the framing of it like i think the only time i'm gonna commend the cinematography not as if that's a bad thing not like the rest of the cinematography is bad but when we find out about when we find out that emily knows about the box we see it framed in a way that it's almost as if we're look watching her from the kitchen and she's obscured and i find that really amazing because it's just like in real life if we caught a glimpse of someone uncovering a secret that could ruin we wouldn't our, our be like and in on the box we wouldn't be getting yeah. a close up of her looking through all the photos you see her like closing the box in like a side slightly cut off like almost yeah. from the kitchen like you said scene and then even the argument itself is framed with like she's in the doorway and he's in the other room like they're almost in yeah. separate rooms the whole time they're arguing yeah and it's it's all framed in a unapologetically real way and I think that's perfect for it Mm -hmm. Mm because like yeah the scene where she finds the box and we see it from almost afar where we see her walk towards the corner that we know the box is in we're like oh god and then and then the conflict starts and it's well the stereotypical conflict starts and it's just it's just harrowing to watch because again you relate to it so much because who hasn't been in a fight like that when they didn't want to be in a fight like that and like for Kumal he goes into that argument completely unprepared and ends up really hurting Emily yeah I think they both end up hurting each other oh yeah absolutely but Kumal really does a lot of damage I think something that Emily says is like do your parents even know about me and he doesn't say anything and she immediately gets like visibly more upset and you just in that moment you're like oh my god i don't want to be watching this like this is yeah you're you're watching the relationship fall apart and it's so well framed it's so well done that you literally feel like somebody who's just like walked through the door and like gotten caught in this argument and can't leave because then they'd notice you were there like Mm. and like while well i don't know about you but while i was watching it through my head I was just thinking like there are upwards of a hundred ways that he could have handled this better sure she doesn't fully understand 
his culture and where his family come from, but there are a hundred ways to handle this better. But I know for certain, if I were in this situation, I would have handled it worse. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. it's that sort of thing where while you're sitting there and he says something or she says something and you go wrong or yeah. bad move. Yeah. That wasn't the correct way to take this conversation. Yeah. But also, if you were there yourself, you would be like, yeah, no, I too would be incredibly upset and not oh, thinking. Oh, absolutely, really. yeah. It's super interesting that, like, it happens so early on. Yeah. Um, and I suppose now would probably be a very good time for us to give a spoiler warning because everything we sort of discussed from here on out would be considered, like, spoilers. We're 30 minutes into the film, so <laughs> ultimately anything else beyond here is a spoiler. If you haven't seen the movie yet, if you've just been listening to us talk and you're super intrigued, it is available on Netflix, um, yes. or at least it's available on Australian Netflix. Sorry to anybody else who lives anywhere else. Uh, just give it a quick Google. I'm sure you can find it. I would really, really recommend you watch this movie and then come back and listen to us talk you know, about the rest I of would it. too, honestly. <laughs> I've watched it through twice. First time again, like I said, I fell asleep. I was so upset. If you want to watch it, the Will experience, then fall asleep halfway through, wake up feeling well rested, and then watch it again, and I guarantee you will enjoy it <laughs> even more, <laughs> I assume. Because, look, I really enjoyed it, <laughs> and I missed, like, a good chunk of it first time through. I woke up and I was like, hey, this film is really good. <laughs> and yeah, and like Monika said multiple times, she was livid with me. <laughs> Looking back on it, would I do it again? Yeah, probably. Because oh I woke I up well rested. You fall asleep like one out of every five times you come to my house, so. Yeah, okay, so one thing people are, if I don't say it now, people are gonna figure it out eventually in their own pointless research, but I'm a very sleepy person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very lethargic person. I fall asleep incredibly easy. He's like a he's like a cat in a sunbeam. Yeah, but I don't even really need sun to fall asleep. No, <laughs> I might you just have need narcolepsy. like a ooh, worrying. <laughs> you might you just like need a couch and you're pretty much set. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, couch and maybe a warm breeze. Couch. And I'm out. Blanket anyway, or... spoilers. <laughs> so I think that gave us adequate time. If you didn't watch the entire film in that space, then yeah. what are you You've doing? You've been listening it's to a, us argue about... It's a remarkably short film, you know, as far as we're concerned. But yeah, spoiler, spoilers have been warned. On with the rest of the film. On with the rest of the film, I suppose, if we're starting in our spoiler area, I'm just going to jump right into it and say, after they've sort of broken up, you can see the change in Kamal. Like, he goes on yeah. a couple more of these, like, date things. He has this one-man stand-up, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. You see him perform it once, and Emily gives her opinion on it, and then he doesn't perform it again until later when Emily's sick, where he starts sort of working on it again and inputting her feedback. Like, it's yeah. a very, very interesting development for his character. Yeah. But yeah. I was going to say, you've got this sort of what they're doing outside of each other, and then yeah. we have this phone call. Oh god, the phone call is incredibly well done. Can mm -hmm. I just say, like, the only bit of sound design that I genuinely noticed... There are two bits of sound design that I genuinely noticed. This one is definitely one of them, because we're given silence. Again, and it's something I love. If you use silence effectively... So Kumal receives a phone call late in the night from 
Emily's friend, telling him that he needs to come to the hospital because Emily's sick and mm-hmm. no one can stay with her. After receiving that call, it all goes silent and we see him driving all silent. And the phone call persists into the drive. Like, yeah. the phone call is him reacting to the phone call but then you're getting the last of the friend's words while he's already in the car which helps like add the like quick urgent it, mo- yeah. it moves you through the edit so that's a really useful editing technique so anyone who actually wants to know about editing if you if you lead with sound like this film does in this scene it eases the transition into the next cut so we get the audio from the phone call leading or moving into these cut where we see Kumal driving to the hospital and then in the hospital frantically looking for someone to tell him where Emily's room is mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. because we have the sound leading through each of the scenes the cuts between them is the jarringness of those cuts is minimized yeah it's a very minimized because while there's silence while he's on the phone and the phone transitions into the car the music transitions into the hospital like it's yeah. a really step-by-step process there and it's i also really like the first the only bit of music i actually noticed as well which was really nice Yeah, I think the first, this was the music that I noticed, and then the other bit of music that I noticed was at the start, like when he's in the car and he's jamming, they use like a song with lyrics, and I'm like, oh, he's in the car, he's having a jam sesh, it was like quite nice. (laughs) This is an incredibly tense moment, and we don't know why Emily's sick. We know that she's been put in hospital, and that she's kind of really groggy when he gets there, she's a bit put out to see him, she's like, what the fuck are you doing here? Um, I really just want to go home, I don't need my ex-boyfriend showing up to the hospital you know type of vibe yeah but it all spirals so incredibly quickly from here and this is the part that really started to hit home with me it's like all of the medical stuff and how quickly it moves for me i definitely don't have personal experience but knowing you i understand where this all there is a definite dread when it comes to all of this Mm-hmm. When you see a hospital room has this sense of tension just innately within it because of all the thoughts that it drums up. Just the call, X is in the hospital, they're really sick. It's exactly how it would happen in the middle of the night. I think he's even like in that phone call, like he's picked someone up at the bar yeah. and taken them home and he gets this phone call and we don't see what happens to her. Presumably she gets kicked out because he cares so much about Emily that no, he's she just lives there now. <laughs> it's just her and the very very upsetting roommate oh yeah um, <laughs> we'll talk he's about he's very him later. upsetting <laughs> but it all moves very quickly and one of the nurses comes in and says that they're, like they've got a room ready for Emily and she goes no I just want to go home and sleep in my own bed and then yeah. like the next scene is the doctor speaking to Kamal about the fact that you're given this sense that she's disoriented Kumal's disoriented the audience is disoriented and it's 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 very anxiety inducing for you know, anyone watching because it just has this sense that no one knows what's going on the doctors might know what's going on but we don't mm-hmm. so in this situation no one knows what's going on and we're no all one in knows the dark. what's going on yeah, yeah and there's this sort of transition about like the doctor asks to speak to Kamal when they're moving her because she says that she doesn't want to get moved to this room but then they move her to the room and when they're moving Emily to this room she's incredibly out of it she doesn't know what's going on Kamal is following along with the bed and the doctor goes I need to speak to you are you her husband and he goes no I'm not and he goes look 
she's got this infection in her lungs um, and we need a family to sign off on the medical procedure to put her like under like into a medical coma Um, otherwise she might not make it out like the infection might spread so I'll ask again, are you her husband? Yeah, and I think I think that's it. that moment is really you get a clear understanding of what's going on. Well, you get this is the clearest understanding you get in this moment where you know the doctor knows that Kumal's not her husband, but he's there with her, so he can sign off on it because he, the doctor knows that Emily's condition is guaranteed to deteriorate. Yeah, it's that sort of, like, you're here and we need to do this now. Yeah, a little bit later when the parents come back, we'll return back to where we are before, but the parents acknowledge that and they say, like, thank you for signing off on it because they also know the situation. Yeah, it's that sort of thing. It also puts Kumal in, like, this really interesting spot where he then has to call after he's signed off on this. We don't get to see him sign off on it. The next thing that we see is Emily asleep in the bed Kumal picks up her phone and uses her thumb to like yeah. unlock her phone and call her parents. And you get this sort of feeling, like even as the viewer, I felt like this. I was like, oh God, Kumal just put her in that coma. Like he made yeah. that decision for her. And now he has to call her family also, and tell them what yeah. happened. I also really like that this is the second situation where he's had to he's been forced into a position where he has to actively well he has to take action and Mm -hmm. this is the second time beyond the first time which was like the conflict the argument this is where he has to just take action and call them and he he responds in in a very similar way to the first time but with an intent to try and do right. Yeah, like I think he starts the phone and he's like, oh, hi, this is Emily's phone. I just want that you to know right off the bat, she's fine. The doctors, she's in this hospital and the doctors have had to put her in a medically induced coma. He talks for a little bit, gets cut off and then goes, yes, I did say coma. And you can just... Like, he's trying his best to give this information as unthreateningly as possible, but there's no good way to say, I had to put your daughter in a coma, like... Yeah, the awkwardness and the almost, like, the cringe comes out and almost hits you with, like, a brick in this Mm. scene where you're just like, oh, God, did you really say it like that? Yeah, and it's super interesting to me as well. They don't, like, slide past how he gets the phone unlocked. Like, they actually show her him taking her fingerprint and unlocking her phone to show, like, how weird this whole situation is. That, like, he wouldn't usually be the person that was there with her, but he is. And it all just adds to this sense of uncomfortable unknown. Because he doesn't know what her phone passcode is, but he needs to be able to contact her family. And... It's just upsetting. <laughs> yeah, it does It does tension really well. And I actually have this belief that comedians know how to do ten- like know how to depict tension in a really good way. But that, you know, we'll expand on that in episodes to come. But yeah, it's the moments of tension and uncertainty and discomfort are really well done in this film, for sure. Yeah, even like sitting here now and talking about it, I've got like a plushie in my hands <laughs> that I can squeeze because it just... It's really well really well conveys that sense of like anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. But then yeah, the parents come and you know attend to their daughter. I can't remember but uh, were they in town? No, I think they live out of town and they 
like drive down. Yeah, I'm I'm only asking because in a previous scene when Kumal and Emily are like shopping together, she says my parents are gonna be in town. Do you wanna like are we gonna meet them? Yeah, so I don't know. I think they might live by American standards, like the next state over or yeah. something. So they're like far away, but not too far away. Um, I don't think they live in town, and I don't, no, I don't think, think they do in either. town at the time of her hospitalization. I think no. they were like because one of the quote-unquote things that sparks one of the fights is that he never wants to go and meet her parents. Yeah. Because there's that whole thing where she goes, "Oh, my parents will be in town. You should come have dinner with us." And he goes, "Oh no, there's the, this two-day rule where I can't see you more than two days in a row," type of thing. Hmm. Um, and I was more asking that just because time is really compressed in this film. Yeah. So it could have been, like, that could have actually been convenient, or not convenient, but... It's never explained. Yeah, um, but that doesn't to matter. To me, I feel like he calls them, and they're not in town, but I feel like they're only a couple of hours away. Like, they only yeah. live a couple of hours away. Because they get there the next morning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, look, the dad, Ray Romano. Yes. Ray Romano is the dad who plays Terry. Yes, Terry is the Terry. dad's name. And the mother, Beth, well, the mother's name, that was a little bit Beth. self-explanatory. <laughs> and that she's Holly played Hunter. by Holly Hunter. She's played yeah. by Holly Hunter, yeah. Yeah, they're great. Oh my god, I actually really like the parents so much. They add a lot of like character and life yeah. in because we've been sort of stuck with... I, I say stuck, but like for, you know, the first sort of half of the film, you've got the family who are all very similar... Kamal's family, you have Kamal, you have yeah. Kamal's friends who are all comedians, so they're all quite similar. And then you have Emily and Kamal um, himself. And then these parents come in and they're very, very different to Kamal. Yeah. but also different to each other, which is super interesting to see. And in such a way that they almost their differences are almost celebrated between the two of them where they work because they're different, like yeah. so different from each other. And like, I, I'm going to say something that's probably controversial. I've never seen uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, but I'm going to say that Ray Romano playing uh, Terry is probably his best role. <laughs> I thought, genuinely, I really, really like his, his character. Yeah, the cadence to his voice, which is iconic, yeah. obviously. Oh, God, yeah. Um, and, like, the fact that he plays a character that talks for the sake of filling space yes. really, oh, really lends itself to this film. Yeah. Um, and then there's the juxtaposition of when they see Kamal, Beth, the mother, is immediately standoffish, immediately, like, mm. very... She gives off this sort of, like, I am incredibly intense and incredibly angry yeah. all of the time. Whereas Ray is more like, okay, hey, look, the doctors, we'll talk to them, they'll tell us. And he gives off like a, I am nervous, but I am a dad, so I'm trying to tell you that I'm not nervous by like talking out my ass all yeah, of the time. Yeah, I'm just going to keep talking and Until just... something nice comes out. Yeah, until the tension is gone. It has gotten yep. bored and died. But yeah. we don't get a lot of time to ruminate on them first up because we immediately go into them sitting in this room. You can see a bit of the like comedic comedy background of Kamal's coming out here because they're sitting in a bereavement room yeah. waiting to hear the news about Emily and the nurse is like, don't worry about the fact that it's a bereavement room. It's one of the only rooms we had available. And I heard that and I was like, this may be true or this could be a part of the film that was exaggerated because it feels like a very yeah it like, feels humor comedy direct. moment yeah yeah humor direct as in uh, like it's it's directed in a humorous way 
Yeah, okay, yeah. thank you. I was like, um, S- I did need to explain that, because that doesn't make sense. Humor <laughs> direct. That doesn't, that's not a thing. Yeah, no, I agree completely, and probably been put in there just to add like a little bit of humor just a sprinkle a little bit of awkward humor it's there and it's a little out of place but it's really really needed because right after that we go straight into what i like to call the medical jargon where they're talking to several different doctors um and you never hear the full sentence that a doctor is saying before it switches to the next doctor talking to them you can see um beth is sort of aggressively asking questions um and terry is aggressively or not aggressively like but he keeps asking how to spell things because he's taking all of these notes down and like it's just they're just sitting there and they're trying to figure out like what's wrong with her and they're trying to understand why she's here and why she's been put in a medical coma and it's all chaotic and confusing and upsetting and you just you just you you feel the 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 confusion that surely all these characters in this moment would be feeling because we jump between doctors so quickly we're not given a full picture at all and we never will be given a full picture kumal our main character our protagonist sits there and just watches it happen and it's it fits with his passive kind of bystander character for a good period of the film where he's just letting it all happen not getting involved but still being there you can't assume what he's thinking but ultimately the best he can do well i assume he feels like the best he can do is just be there and after the medical jargon scene he sort of stands there and he goes in a very someone who does comedy for a living fashion well, I've learnt a lot today. There's yeah. apparently bad comas and good comas, and the type that Ella- Emily's in is the good kind. Like, and it's a very, like, he's dumbing it down to yeah. try and get a smile, but yeah. also to put a positive spin on what's happening. Mm. And I think in a in a way, he's, like, grasping at any Strong. silver lining that he can get, yeah. and then... Mm-hmm just focusing on that it's like he she's in a good coma so there's that and yeah and i think that is a good testament to his character in that he wants to make people feel better and it's why he probably became a comedian you know yeah exactly and then beth immediately sort of after that tells him that he can go home like yeah I think one of the lines that really, really struck me here, once again, all of the characters in this are so incredibly honest, but she says something (laughs) along the lines of, you don't need to feel any obligation, you obviously didn't while she was awake, you don't need to now that she's asleep, like, yeah, or something along the lines of that, very, very, like, backhanded, you gave up on her while she was still well. Not in a coma, yeah. And now that she's in a coma, you shouldn't feel any obligation to stick around. Yeah. So Kamal leaves. He goes back to doing what he usually does. But the way that it's framed, you can tell that it's eating away at him and that he really cares about what's happening and is worrying about what might be happening to Emily. Mm. Because he's not there and it's the only thing he thinks about. All of his friends are joking in the back room of the bar where they have stand-up and he sort of interrupts them or they ask him what he thinks and he just goes, it's okay that I'm not there, right? Yeah. Like, that's his first foray into their conversation and i think in a typical because i'm gonna bring in story and like story structure now because i can't really talk about cinematography Mm because we've already discussed that it's pretty simple in terms of story this is his call to action 
and a stereotypical story, you get that quite early on, you know, Luke chooses to go and save the universe in Star Wars, and that's his call to, his call to action is when he's given the opportunity to leave home. Kumail's call to action in a stereotypical story arc comes quite late. Yeah, because... it's not at the start of the movie, yeah. where it would usually be the catalyst for the rest of the movie. Yeah, well, he is... yeah call to action is after two of our big climaxes which yeah. is the argument not and the climax sequence. just crisis i think crisis thank yeah. you that's probably i'm thinking about climax you're all, resolution but <laughs> you're all good but yeah it's 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 his, after the oh, argument it's and it's after the sickness like you could argue that his call to action is is the sickness but he's he's passively brought to that when the moment he where he actively chooses to go and be with her even though she's in a coma and she doesn't know that he's there it's when he goes to, back yeah when he goes back to try and make things right that's his call to action it's the moment he goes into the woods to save the day but not save the day but like just to be there and if yeah yeah if all he can do is be there then he's going to be there. Mm -hmm. And he starts at that one, like he comes back and he's treated once again very coldly by Beth. Yeah. And sort of like awkwardly civilly by Terry. And you can then see the juxtaposition in their relationship. Yeah. Because he comes and he sort of goes, well, I'd like to stay. She goes, you don't have to be here. And he goes, well, I'd like to stay anyway. And then there's an awkward pause and he goes is this seat and Beth immediately moves her like bag onto the seat as if to Mm. very clearly say fuck off Um, and and Terry kind of you can see that they're both like staring at him when he goes to sit down and they play it for a bit of comedy where he sort of looks up sees them staring at him looks away and then turns to the person next to him and goes is that lady still staring at me like it's a very (laughs) I do I like the juxtaposition where Terry who's played by Ray Romano a very tall man is is the point of relief in discomfort mm-hmm. whereas Beth who is I actually don't know how tall the actress is but she's quite short she looks short compared yeah, to Ray <laughs> she is she is terrifying to Kumal and I think that's a really nice juxtaposition tall and calm and short and angry is incredibly accurate it, it does go hand in hand but it, it's a nice thing to see in that, that because instead usually, of them being like a big imposing dad who's yeah, very protective exactly. about his daughter it's like this tiny little rage mum who's like you already hurt my daughter yeah. I'm gonna fuck you up like <laughs> yeah exactly and I, I really like that because it's honest mm-hmm. again you know um, and it's relatable in a way like everybody yeah. knows that like one very very fiery person where you look at them and you're like you're like you should not be as fiery as you are there's not a lot that you can do like mm. a yeah. breeze could knock you over like yeah. but she's still the main tension in a couple of the next scenes she's still the main thing that makes Kamal afraid or uncomfortable and it's all very interesting yeah. to see that juxtaposition like Ray Romano as an actor Yes. In, in his role as Terry, but also in general, is a very, like, comforting person. He's yeah. either played as, like, annoying or comforting. Like, those are his... He's never really intimidating, or I haven't seen him intimidating. No, I haven't um, either. He has, a, he has a presence about him that makes things seem easier and better. Yeah. His mannerisms the way that he are always walks quite calm. just nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But with him you i think also a reason why we immediately like like ray romano's character is because so much of kumal's 
character can be reflected in Ray's in that Sure, Ray is not a quiet character, but he is a bystander in situations. Passive. Yeah, he's passive in many situations. And it's for Kumal, it's good to have a character in the story who actually reflects him, but is still mm. capable of reaching that point where he can confront his problems and then overcome them. It's sort of a sort of the like I'm you but with a slightly bigger backbone. Yeah, it's almost—it's almost like weirdly, this film doesn't need a mentor, but he can—he takes that role as mentor. In a he sense. takes that role of mentor in a really interesting and unique way, in which yeah. that, like, yes, he is a mentor, but he's a mentor because, like, he's a—he's just passively there. Yeah. And later on, we're in spoiler areas, so I yeah, feel like can, I can jump can around. Can spoil a bit. anything. But, Kumal is Kumal has Terry stay at his house because he has an argument with Beth and Beth goes back to Emily's house so Kumal says do you want to stay at mine and they're talking before they go to sleep and Kumal's like I think we should go to sleep and Terry immediately blurts out I cheated on Beth and but keeps talking about it until Mm. he's upset and there's nothing else to say and he think he says something like you know one day you'll meet a woman and you won't know oh, she's the right woman for you until you cheat on her. Yeah. <laughs> and then after that he says something like, I thought I could just start talking and something and like... something smart would come out. Yeah. yeah. Here's the thing. I don't, like, I don't know if you would agree with me on this, but that point is actually really interesting for me because for me, I, I, I pegged Terry as the mentor character because of this moment. Because one thing I noticed in this film is that like we've said multiple times characters are brutally honest but they're brutally yep. honest about other people's flaws no one yeah. is no one is brutally honest about their vulnerabilities in this film no one no. except terry terry is the only character who is openly vulnerable with another until character. a little later yeah but yeah it's, but it's, he's he's yeah. the first person who we see who vulnerably like in that moment and it's that's what i mean is like he's the mentor character because yeah. of that moment but it's not what a usual mental no. moment would oh be. absolutely not he's but none of nothing in this film is like stereotypical to the story the typical it's story telling. path which i personally love i really like it like because it's not stereotypical yeah it doesn't feel cliched like you're not sitting there like oh and this is the part where they get back together or you know like stuff like that but because it's based on a true story everything that happens still makes sense like there's no we pulled this out of nowhere for shock value type vibes like it's all cohesive it all goes together every step that happens is like you see it takes you off guard but then when you look back on it you're like yeah that's exactly what would have happened in that situation yeah absolutely. even just the thing before where i said that like it shows you seeing kumal unlock emily's phone with her finger while she's asleep like they don't usually leave loose ends like everything has a natural progression and it all ties up well that's exactly perfectly what i was trying to say there you go but yeah so it's really (laughs) we got very very off tandem here very interesting to see that Terry is almost one for one reflection of Kumal yeah. with an extra air of like vulnerability about himself almost. Mm. And I with think that yeah, with self-awareness. With, yeah, he's self-aware to a point where he he is able to be vulnerable with Kumal 
and this introduces a point where Kumal can recognize that if he wants to be better, he needs to be able to be vulnerable or open about himself. The stark realization that all these characters are brutally honest with each other about their, like other people's flaws, but not their own. Mm, about was... the fact that, you know, even in the family, the brother says, mum won't like that or dad won't like that. Yeah. And the family goes, you need to date someone like this. You shouldn't be doing comedy. But no one ever turns around and says, I have this flaw or yeah. I'm or... like this. I'm worried for you because of this, yeah. Yeah, the only other hint we get to someone being honest about themselves and showing vulnerability outside of this is when they're having their wine tasting, like Emily mm. and Kamal, and Emily says, I am overwhelmed by you. Like, that's the closest we get to someone being honest yeah. about their self before this moment. And it's, it's this really... Yeah, it's this really nice kind of thing where in this film, if we follow the like the simple, or well not simple, but if we follow the stereotypical story structure, these moments are guides for the hero to or protagonist to reach their full potential, and these moments of internal and self vulnerability from other characters are moments for Kumal to recognize the potential for what being open and honest about himself can do yeah, for his it, life. It basically is, he says it and it's incredibly awkward and they sit there in silence for a little bit and then mm. Kamal realises that he isn't being honest with himself. Yeah, and it's it's great. It's, it's, it's a really nice reflection on how we act and how we treat each other. You know, it's so easy to openly tell someone about it's so easy to judge others, yeah, but it's so not easy to judge others, reflect but on yourself. Yeah, exactly. You said it far better than I could have, honestly. <laughs> I heard what you were trying to say. We're yeah, just going to say things you. for each other. Like, <laughs> we're a hive mind at this point. Yeah. But um, the really interesting point of that is that before this point, every time that Terry speaks to fill the silence, yeah. it's comforting. And then in this specific scene in the bed, like when they're chilling together after the argument in the hospital with Beth, he speaks to fill the silence and it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Whereas every other time it's been comforting, it's given you this sort of like jovial sense of like calm and carry on as usual, I yeah. suppose I would say. Like he, he gives the vibe of, yeah, he's just talking and you feel like it's just a normal day despite yeah. the circumstances. This is the first time that you're like, oh, okay. And yeah, I think with, with Terry's character, in situations where he's been talking, it gives you a uh, it gives you an opportunity to rebalance when you're feeling on the back foot from these situations where you're presented with no information but only only complications and issues and problems. And then this scene that comes where Kumal and Terry are in trying to go to sleep, and he brings up this situation where he had cheated on his wife. We'd already had previous scenes where we were almost left exhausted because of the painful situations that we'd had to go through, we'd had to watch, and you know, the characters are exhausted from a day of conflict and fighting with each other about do we move Emily, do we not move Emily, are the doctors okay. here good enough or bad enough? Terry has an argument with Beth because she's just not listening to him. She's, yeah. she's thinking she knows what's best for her 
daughter, we're going to move her. And he's like, can you just listen to me? And she just won't listen to him because she's trying to do everything she can for her daughter. And in this scene, we're just exhausted. And then Terry starts talking and we're almost like, oh God, I'm falling. And I'm exhausted from the previous scenes. And we're just given this and it it almost feels painful. It's also super interesting as well because we get a little bit of a hint to what their sort of backstory and why they argue so much is in this conversation because Ray says something like, it's not all my fault um, or it's not always my fault. And Beth, there's a pause and Beth goes, some things are. And you can tell that she's still holding on to this. And that's the sort of point where then she leaves without him. It's not just about Emily anymore at that exact moment. No, it's about something else and I like that when we hear that line, we I think, I don't know about you because I can't speak for you, I know personally, in my in the back of my mind I thought, that'll probably be brought up later, it's Chekhov's gun you know, or Chekhov's affair um, <laughs> and it'll probably be brought up later I didn't think mm. it'd be brought up so soon which I actually yeah. really like because you're just not ready for it I, I suppose from a someone who isn't in the industry standpoint, um, who knows about Chekhov's gun, I thought, oh, there's more to that. Yeah. But I didn't think it's going to get brought up again. I just went, that's interesting. That's deeper than it sounds, you know, sort of thing. And then when he said it later, I went, that's what that was, you know. So I less yeah. anticipated that it was coming, but more noted it as something <laughs> that was very, like, important, I yeah. suppose. I think if you'll allow me to do a bit of, like, film talk, for people who don't know, Chekhov's gun is a dramatic principle that suggests that details within a story or play will contribute to the overall narrative. So that's what I mean when I say Chekhov's gun. I'll probably use terms like that again, and I'm more than happy to explain them. Please do. (laughs) Going forward. So Chekhov's gun basically means if something is, like, introduced and put center frame, then you can pretty much assume that it's going to be used later on. We will refer back to it later, and then you can be guaranteed that they probably will. That's Chekhov's gun. We'll talk about other things like the Kuleshov effect, but you'll have to wait until later (laughs) when we actually talk about it. You're just going to have to wait until it actually comes up in a movie. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It needs to come up naturally, otherwise I won't talk about the Kuleshov effect. Maybe one day I can bully Will into Don't worry, just it will come explaining up. <laughs> it all. In, <laughs> but maybe not this week, maybe not next week, but we will talk about the Kuleshov effect. But anyway, eventually I will understand talk. what that means. <laughs> we'll talk about the film further because I can't. At any rate, I have the argument. The I have this moment. I can't remember if it's before or after this. I think it's before this, where initially Kumal takes Terry and Beth back to Emily's apartment oh, and yeah, gives them a place. Before. And Beth is intent on staying and researching everything. Like, every time we see her, she's yeah. either doing something with her hands, like knitting or crocheting. I can't remember what she was yeah. actually doing. Or she's, in like, the nibbling on, them, room. on her fingernails. Um, she's biting on her fingernails, or yeah. she's on the laptop researching. Get this, um, she's very intense, but she also is keeping herself busy for a reason. And then you turn around to where Terry is always talking to fill the silence. They get to her house. And Terry's like, oh, do you have any parlor games? And Kamal's like, what's a parlor game? And I'm struck by this, oh my god. (laughs) He doesn't know what parlor games are, you know, type of... Yeah, reaction. But then my favorite is Terry's explaining a specific game. And he's like, oh, you try and find a word that no one can rhyme anything with. And Kumal goes, Stonehenge. Stonehenge, And for the first time... 
Terry's character, like Terry is a character, he's very quiet, he and there's a pause. Yeah. And he goes, you see, you would win. You win. Yeah. Game. And you can tell that he's like mad about it, and it's really <laughs> lovely like insight into the fact mm. that he's probably a competitive person, but yeah. it doesn't come out much. I'm just I giving depth and life. Yeah. yeah. Depth and life to the characters and a much needed brevity break from all of the stress of the hospital. Yeah, absolutely. But where I was leading up to this is Kumal has a stand-up. Yeah. And he lies about being the headliner and then mm. lies about not being able to get them to go because he didn't want them to come but he also wanted to impress them yeah and it's what i like talked about lying about your vulnerabilities and your self-esteem it's a good mm -hmm. it's a good example of that for sure yeah but they go to the stand-up comedy scene and there's a heckler mm. in the audience who is incredibly incredibly bigoted yeah, I, I would say he's almost two-dimensionally bigoted, but ultimately, you know, that's not for me to assume. There's people like that in yeah, the world. Yeah, exactly. You know, and we see how Kumal handles hecklers and how yeah. he sort of starts. But before he can sort of get back to his script, because I think it he, you know, he shouts something out and Kumal yeah. goes, oh, wow, that's really original or whatever. And the guy goes, fuck you. And Kumal goes, oh, did you write that at home? You know, that's super, yeah. like cutting well, edge material yeah well before that that kind of stuff happens he tries to just like ignore it yeah and it's it's the second instance where he's been met with a heckler first being emily and he he responds to that because it's positive when met with conflict he doesn't respond to it he passively passes it's passes it yeah by. he just tries to ignore it yeah. and keep going but but beth steps yeah. in yeah and says something, you know, along the lines of what you said makes no sense. Mm. And the bigoted guy goes, fuck you. And then Kumal goes, oh, that's really good material. Did you write that yourself at home? And gets a bit of laughs out of the audience, obviously trying to play it down and push it away so he can continue with his setup. But I think this is the second where we realize as much as Beth is being incredibly rude and cold to Kamal, she yeah. actually cares about him. And she actually sees that he cares about her daughter mm. because she goes to bat yeah. for him. And from a purely psychological standpoint, this scene is also really good to reinforce the point that Kumal needs to stand up for himself and also is the starting point for him standing up for himself because mm -hmm. it's, it's a little thing, just, oh, did you write that material yourself? And then he gets a laugh out of it. He stands up for himself a little bit and then he's rewarded for it. Yeah, it's sort of that um, instant gratification of doing something for himself and yeah. it well, going it's, it's, positively. It's classic conditioning, which is great. Mm. In mm -hmm. this sense, is really useful. Yeah, and it's really, really interesting. It's also um, I amusingly. Said Pavlov's gun. <laughs> so that... I was about to say Pavlov's dog, so yeah, we were so on the, this. The psychological experiment is Pavlov's dog. I almost said pa Pavlov's gun based on Pavlov's dog and uh, Chekhov's gun. I mean, honestly, as much as it was an amalgamation of two different things, it made sense because it is conditioning him to stand up for himself, which comes up later in the film. <laughs> yeah, I guess. You know what? That's fine. Pavlov's gun. <laughs> I like that. I want that on a t-shirt. Um, <laughs> you know, they're talking, and I just really love this scene because it's incredibly, it's incredibly serious. Oh, yeah. But you also get this moment where, like, Beth lunges for the guy and oh, yeah. Harry has to like hold her back and I remember thinking in that exact moment like how 
it's really funny it was like this is an incredibly oh, yeah, intense and uncomfortable situation and then you've just got this tiny little woman being held back like a rabid chihuahua she almost sparks him out I know it's incredible it's... <laughs> and he like fucking flinches as well it's very funny yeah and then as they're leaving, Beth is sort of being like, you know, like, fuck you, da-da-da, being incredibly loud. And Ray's like, I'm sorry, everybody, and then turns to the one guy and is like, except for you. Yeah, I'm I really want to beat you up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, he's like, I'm not sorry. And and yeah. this is the first instant, instance we see where Terry can, can and is fully capable of standing up for himself and confronting people he doesn't like. And it's really, like, it's surprising because we're used to Kumal's style of confrontation which is not <laughs> confronting it mm, so which is trying to sidestep it or yeah. dodge it yeah but then we're introduced to a character who's like kumal in many ways but is also seen as like he's he's the moderator of of the characters and he can ease tension in a certain way and then he fully stands up for himself without any need for backup yeah. and it's just like oh god this guy is a whole person yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry everyone, except I'm not sorry to you. Mm. I really want to beat you up. And these levels go all the way down, motherfucker. And I'm yeah. like, he's he's evidently a very passive person who is not used to aggression, but also is like, no, this is a time to be aggressive. Yeah. No, Fuck I will you stand up for myself. Yeah. <laughs> even, if I, even if I'm not good at it, I will do that. Yeah, even and if I'm not good at yeah. it, fuck you in particular. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I, yeah, it's it's just so good. I think that scene is so good. Like, a little disquieting and a little, like, it made me very uncomfortable. That bit right at the end where he stands up for himself, but it's because I wasn't ready for it. Yeah. Because that's the first time I'd seen it because I was asleep first time at that point <laughs> second time i saw it i was like oh this is in the film and then yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but yeah you just fell asleep at the worst moment probably but I'm you not know salty. i can do that I can, <laughs> i'm capable of doing that i'll fall asleep in horror movies anyway moving forward fighting at the stand-up yeah, and we'll they fight, all leave and, and you realize you realize how much is these little knit trio who have been sitting almost every day in this waiting room, like, waiting to hear about Emily, how much they actually care about each other and how much they've almost unwittingly bonded. Like, they didn't want to bond, yeah. but they have. Just, just the word based on sheer proximity, they, mm-hmm. they've gotten closer to each other. And then, yeah, when they return from the standout, they're all just quite buddy-buddy. And I really like that because it's just, it's just a really nice moment, this series of scenes where we're not constantly fighting we're just having three people chatting and having a good time Mm. and it's and yeah it's it's almost like a calm moment which is so so wonderful they start like having a drink or something together and there's a moment where we've talked about terry's mentor moment with kumal but i think another really big moment that i didn't actually note down but now that we've mentioned mentor moments is coming back to me absolutely bring it up sitting with beth talking about how she and terry met and she says oh my family hated him we were a military family and he was like seen as very hippie you know or Mm. something along the lines of because he was a teacher and kumal goes oh how did your family deal with that 
and she says, oh, you know, my father got so angry, he, like, broke all the plates in the house, and this was back when you could only get, like, one plate every time you went to the gas station. Yeah. But after that, Terry didn't give up, he just kept coming around, and eventually they all got used to him. You know, it was a very, like, a, yeah, they all hated him at first, they thought he was completely wrong for me, but he stuck around and showed that he actually wanted to be there, and eventually they accepted it. Yeah. And it's a very on-the-nose example of exactly what Kumal is afraid of telling his parents about Emily. Yeah, and I think, like, though the cultures are definitely different, Beth almost not serves as, but represents in this story and in Kumal's character arc the marker that everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I She's think sort that's of... so reassuring. In the grand scheme of all of the themes in this movie, she's the little microcosm of, you can get through this. Yeah, no matter how bad it gets, it'll be okay. Yeah, like I said, I love Beth and Terry as characters because they're just so... Together, they're these points of reassurance for Kumal that just make everything feel like it's just gonna be okay. Yeah, they're very parental. They're very caring. (laughs) They're very reassuring. They're just parents. (laughs) They're just parents, yeah, and that's what makes them so great. Uh, Is there anything else that you want to talk about in this sort of area? I know that we're Uh, sort of moving through into, like, the last third of the movie now. No, I think think we can move on to that point. I think if there's anything that we haven't talked about, we'll bring it up again. But, yeah, I think if we want to move further, I think that'd be great. Yeah, I think the next sort of point that like I have as like a really big turning point in the movie is they have to do surgery on Emily. Um, They've found the infection in like her lung and they want to do surgery to remove it. They do the surgery. They say all is well and she might be able to go home in the next couple of days. And then she gets exponentially worse. Yes. Her condition deteriorates. And this really, really hit me. Like, I, um, to give you a bit of context, I was very, very young and had to have major surgery. So watching this and the reactions that the family have to, she's going to be fine, to actually this is life or death, it really made me think about, like, this is what people go through. This is what my family would have gone through with me, you know? And it, it's, it's realistically devastating to watch. Yeah. And I just, you can tell how hard it hits our main trio and how mm. they take it. And then obviously the fact that they want to move her, but moving her would destabilize her yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. It's all of this information. Yeah. Which leads to where the point that I was actually coming into, Kamal has a breakdown about it. He is listening to like voicemails Mm. of Emily talking and it sort of gives us insight into Emily as a character because obviously we haven't really seen her in the light yeah I was gonna say this almost so far besides anything as the romantic interest yeah I was gonna say this almost reminds us that Emily is is still a person and a character in this film Mm -hmm. she's not just The woman who's sick that the man will do anything for she's a person she's a person a character and you know, she has uh, her own wants and needs, and she's just in a coma. Doesn't mm-hmm. change too much of who she is as a person, but she's yep. just in a coma. And this is, like, this is what sparks the argument between Terry and Beth, because yeah. she 
despite like she backslides in her health, Emily backslides in her health. Beth mm. immediately goes, "This hospital isn't doing enough. We need to move her." Terry's like, "Okay, but listen to the doctors. She's they did what they did to stabilize her. We don't want to destabilize her. Moving her, and they don't listen, and that's what starts the argument. Yeah, is all of this sort of stuff. Yeah, but Kamal." pretty much snaps after this like well, he breaks yeah. down I was going to say the the argument about moving her or not moving her it's the first time he raises his voice mm-hmm. and and it's fighting for something that he believes in so this is the second iteration well the second situation where he stands up for something that he believes in but this time he's not met with encouragement he's ignored Yeah, and that leads to his breakdown and this is like a really serious point, but I just wanted to ask you, Minnie, mm. how many slices of cheese is too many for a burger? Because <laughs> I feel like four is a lot. Yeah, I feel like three or above is a I lot. I was going to say like two double... is the, the max. <laughs> yes, yeah, two is the max. And yeah. even then, it's like one slice of cheese per burger patty. And this is American cheese. And... Based on my tone, I'm sure that most of you are going to assume that I'm about to go into some pointless research. This week, we I have no pointless research. I'm sorry, this is a story based on real life. There's not much I can research. Disappointing. <laughs> I'll be back next week with more pointless research. Don't but worry about that. But Basically, yeah. it's like the trigger for the breakdown. He's listening to the voicemails, and yeah. he like comes up to this drive-thru and asks for a burger with four slices of cheese. Mm. And the guy on the line says, I can't do that do you want four burgers? Yeah. And he fucking snaps. Like, he loses his shit. He gets out of his car and walks up to the, like, serving window yeah. and, like, shouts and berates and, like, abuses this poor worker. I feel, yeah. like, really, feel really upset for him. him. Yeah. yeah. And then he says something like, We both work in retail, first... so we... we... <laughs> totally understand how it feels to just be berated. Yeah. So, yeah. We both used to work in retail, we should say. Yeah. Um, but he says, it's my first day. And Kumal, like, knocks a bin over and, like, shouts and screams. Mm. And then immediately goes, like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, like, picks up the bin and, like, puts all the rubbish back in the bin and gets mm. back in his car. You see how much this is affecting him and how yeah, much absolutely. this backslide in Emily's health has come as a devastating setback to everybody involved. Yeah. And it's, it's just, like, this one little thing that sets him off to his breakdown. But... It's completely unrelated. It's just one tiny inconvenience that he just doesn't need. And mm-hmm. um, I think we've all been there. I had a oh, God, time yeah. once, like, I was making my bed and I couldn't get the corner sheet to tuck in properly and there was so much else going on in my life that that was the thing that did it. Like, you know, we've yeah. all been there. Where just one little thing is the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's why it's a saying. Like, one little thing can be enough to break you. I think we can all relate relate to that. Maybe not to the same extent. I'm sure a lot of people have more self-restraint in situations like that. But, like, I, we can all relate to that. But then that, like, leads almost immediately on to he'd forgotten that he has a gig in 20 minutes and he has to go and do stand-up now. Just before he goes into his stand-up gig, they do a really interesting thing with the sound. Yes. I said that there was only like two times that I noticed the sound, but I noticed Mm. this. There's like a ringing. Yeah. If you've ever had tinnitus or um, (laughs) watched a movie where an explosion goes off, it's that sort of ringing. Yeah. And it muffles out the background. Yeah. 
just it's less of a ringing like of a like a it's you're supposed to hear the ringing and more that the ringing is drowning out everything else yeah like a uh, type of ringing and oh gosh that point of view where we're looking at like him talking to someone and that's what's happening yeah he's given he's, a, he he receives a phone call from terry telling him that they're not going to move emily and then it just starts ringing we don't hear the rest but you can assume it's nothing good and then as i've you know alluded to before you use sound to cut into the next scene in a more seamless fashion next cut that we see he's walking on stage and you know what's coming next just can't be good the tension that they build is really really interesting sometimes in fact i would say that it's more tense than some horror movies that i've watched like you watch a couple horror movies where the tension builds and you kind of are like all right where's the jump scare whereas this it's building the tension and i'm like oh my god It, it builds the tension exponentially and then never releases it you know in a way that horror definitely does and i think it's not as cathartic as horror i suppose would be the way to put it like it's heartbreaking what happens in the gig basically he tries to start his stand-up but he breaks down and says something like it's really hard to do stand-up comedy when your girlfriend's in a coma yeah and he gets a couple sympathy laughs from it because people are like oh is this a bit and then it becomes incredibly clear that it's not a bit it's harrowing it's just a harrowing scene where you just get him just letting out his fear and frustration and just in the in the worst possible situation because these people probably paid to come and see comedians and they came here for a laugh not to hear about yeah this. they're also not a sympathetic ear to his problems they exactly. didn't expect to be trauma dumped on about this poor man's yeah uh experiences with his girlfriend being hospitalized and in fact it ends up on the web because somebody films it um and and like just quietly while we're here they put it on youtube and the youtube that they show dates this movie (laughs) yes yeah it's in a very old youtube but they put it on youtube and he sort of has this breakdown and then you just left sad like there's not really a conclusion he has a breakdown on stage. He bombs his like audition to go to Montreal or this stand-up yeah, thing. Yeah, his big that chance to do a, a big gig. Yeah, and that's just it. That yeah, sometimes yeah. The things that are going on in your life mean that you can't progress. Yeah. In life, you're left feeling like this is a really dark ending to what you thought was going to be quite a heartfelt film. But luckily, it doesn't end there. Can't remember specifically how it leads on to this point, but because of Kumal's... Like, we're given insight into this quite early on, but Kumal pretty much remembers everything he sees about Emily. Or he remembers the little things that matter to mm-hmm. him. I, I was going to bring it up when he uses her thumbprint to get into her phone. You, you can basically use any fingerprint for the phone, but he knows it's the thumb, because, sure, common sense, but, like... We get he would have seen her unlock his, unlock yeah. her phone so many get, times before. Yeah, we get more and more instances of him just remembering little things about her. Because of that, he remembers, we see it in the film, but she, she injured her ankle, and he remembers, mm. and he tells a nurse about it in an off, Eight, like, like just off the before, cuff. Yeah, just before the argument about them not moving her, just yeah. before... Terry reveals the affair. Yeah. He's talking to the nurse and he says Beth wants to move her. 
and you hear he's talking to this nurse and says they want to move her and she goes no 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 they put her in the coma for a reason like yeah. if you take her out of this it'll destabilize her do you remember anything happening to her like any sicknesses that you have well, and he's like yeah well in the she film he 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 like starts spouting off little things that he remembers about her because mm. he's he's worried that it could be something else that they hadn't yeah, caught he's and like he, oh it could be like this isn't what it is but like meninja cockle or like he starts like spouting things yeah. that it could be and reasons he thinks it could be that and then he goes he hurt her ankle and it's you know yeah and that ends up being the very thing that gives the doctor's insight into waking her up Mm, is basically um, the reason that she's in the state that she is is because she hurt her ankle and because her ankle was hurt her body saw healthy tissue as an infection and started attacking itself it's like an autoimmune disease Um, they call it a big biological misunderstanding in the movie Um, yeah and it leads to her being woken up from her coma and recovering but it's this little thing where just this one little thing that he remembers about her being the very thing that saves her. And it just shows you how much he cares about her, even though yeah. he acted like it wasn't a big thing to lose her because he didn't want to be with her mm. and like didn't tell his family about her. He really did and does care about her. It yeah. Actually, before we under- like know that she's woken up and after his breakdown he gets visited by his family because when he went to his stand-up show he actually missed one of these like yeah uh setups that his mum does and we sort of got the juxtaposition between when he's at the stand-up with beth and terry like the stand-up that they're at and this dinner that his family are having with this girl where he didn't show up for it and they come over to his house and like ask him about it and ask him where he is and why he hasn't been talking to them and he just stands up for himself and it doesn't go well but he still does it and it's it's his like it's the turning point of his character yeah we've been leading up to it with all of these little itty bitty baby stand-ups but this is the like standoff he like snaps at them and basically says like i was seeing this girl this whole time but i couldn't tell you about her because she was white and she's sick and she's in the hospital and i couldn't tell any of it like any of it to you and it made me so incredibly sad the raw power of his acting in this scene is so amazing like it's so easy to empathize with him here like yeah. you just feel every single feeling he's feeling while he's talking to his parents it's so incredibly relatable yeah and the sense of like courage that it would have taken him to reveal basically mm-hmm. from what we have gathered throughout the film the worst possible answers of things that he's doing in Mm -hmm. that he's doing comedy he's dating not a pakistani woman all these things that he knows will hurt his parents or his parents will not approve of and as a but he's still saying it because he's he needs Mm -hmm. to be honest with them finally and it doesn't end well for him like we don't get a cathartic oh we still love you son we get a his father calls him selfish yeah and his mother says, you are not my son. Yeah, he, becomes, and they, he gets disowned. and it's, He gets disowned and yeah. called selfish. It's, yeah, it's, it's not the result that we ever expect to see in film in that it just doesn't, it doesn't work out for our protagonist. And then right after this 
it's it's an open wound basically that is yeah. left on us and Kumal. His family pretty much just said, "Cool, thanks for telling us." Yeah. Get fucked. It, um. It's like we we know and he knows that it's the right thing to do, but his life is left worse off because of it. And then right after that, we get the Emily's awake scene. Yes. And that doesn't end well for him either. Yeah, this is supposed to be a relief, and it is at first. Mm-hmm. But then he gets to go and see her, and despite the mother and father, Beth and Terry, saying, like, he was here the entire time, he was here for you the entire time, and being very supportive of Kumal uh, in general, which is great, Emily is just brutally and heartbreakingly honest with him. And yeah. sure, she's she's drugged so that she she has no social inhibition but she is just so honest with him about how she just she hates him she doesn't want to see him ever she just doesn't want to look at his face and he just like in this kind of reaction it's it's this point where it's not a fantasy this is real life she didn't last time she saw him she hated him because Mm. he lied to her and kept secrets from her and she has no idea about the character arc or the change that he's been through because she wasn't around for it. She was in a coma. Yeah. And she's just telling him how she feels. And it's heartbreaking for him because though he's gone through great change and he knows what he wants and what he wants to be with her, to her, that's just not an option and she doesn't want that. What I find, like, she tells him to piss off and leave. What I found, like, really interesting is that Kumal struggles to leave even after being told to piss off. He, it's almost like you just can't leave without, with this kind of closure. Leave it with this closure. He's been there, he's been going there and showing up for months and staying there for months, we assume. It's another sort of, like, this is the part where in any other romantic movie, they would get back together. Yeah. But she tells him to go. She tells him and, to leave. And, you know, Emily is entitled to her feelings. And she's not incorrect with what she says. Like, he did yeah. really hurt her. And she hasn't been around for his emotional development like we, the viewers, have. Yeah. But it I... still hurts. Oh, absolutely. And Kamal respects that and yeah. leaves. He respects it. and Well, he tries to leave, but then also he kind of, like, wavers in the in the hallway for a bit mm-hmm. which I found really interesting because it's almost like he's come this far he doesn't want to just walk away from it all because he's he's grown so much that he's willing to stand up for what he believes in but he's also willing to accept her feelings and understand her feelings so he's stuck in a midpoint where his growth actually stops him from leaving yeah and there's this second that we get that is really really like bittersweet where he sort of has this awkward, silent, mutual look with him and Terry. It's heartwarming because they both understand that Emily doesn't want to see him, but Mm. they've both been through so much together and they have this sort of, like, look and goodbye. And then Beth comes out and talks to him and says goodbye to him and you really see how far they've come as a trio. He says, all right, goodbye, I suppose I won't see you around. And Beth goes, like, maybe, but I hope not, you know, sort of yeah. thing. Like, implying that, yeah, Emily doesn't want to see him, but she does. Beth wants yeah, to see Yeah, we him. don't necessarily want to never see you again. And I, I, I really like that scene because, again, they're parents. 
So mm. Beth understands that they're not going to manipulate or persuade Emily to feel a certain way about someone who they've grown to care about. They're going to respect their daughter's wishes and trust that their daughter knows what's good for her own mental well-being. But even so, they still feel a little regret at not getting to have that conclusion that Kumal fought for and that, you know, they all they really wanted was their daughter to be okay, but they also know who Kumal is now and how much he's changed. So they hope that they'll see him again, but they know that they're never going to actively be able to change anything because that's what good parents do. They let their children grow. Exactly, exactly. At this point, the pace of the movie picks up and goes yeah. pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. Which is apt because I feel like I'm starting to get a bit conscious of time. <laughs> but basically, what happens from here is he does leave. It's really hard for him to do so, but he does leave. And Emily starts going through physical therapy. Obviously, she's been in a coma for a while, so they yes. do a lot of physical therapy to get her back to where she was before. And when she leaves the hospital, they have, like, they throw a party and they invite all the nurses. And Beth invites Kumal. And yeah. Kumal brings this final ditch effort. He, yeah, he calls it his bag of devotion. Yeah, it's yeah. so upsetting. Uh, yeah, but I also really like it because it's just so raw and real. And I, I love that. It's following on with this theme of just because the last couple times that he's been open and honest and vulnerable with people that haven't worked doesn't mean that he's not hit that change in his life and is yeah. continuing to be vulnerable with people. He pulls out, you know, all the parking ticket stubs that he's got and, like, all of his visitor passes and the ashes of all the Pakistani women. Yeah. Um, which is played for a bit of a joke and then he goes, I didn't actually burn them. Quite an awkward joke, but still quite funny. Yeah, 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 just a tension breaker, basically. Yeah. And he does that, and Emily still says no. And what I love is that he respects her wishes, too. Mm-hmm. He I does think that's really important. Effort, respects her wishes, and accepts her no. Yeah. And moves on the best he can with his life. Yeah. But it's been forever changed and shaped by Emily. Like, even if she said no and doesn't want to be with him anymore, he's started changing his one-man show to be more about himself instead of just informational about Pakistan. Yeah. He accepts an offer from his friends, Bo Burnham and the other lady, to, like, <laughs> yeah. move cities with them. Yeah, move so to they New York. Do, yeah, so they can do stand-up more. Yeah. And something that really, really hit me about the fact that he gets asked to go is his immediate reaction is, what about my roommate, Chris? Yeah, fuck that guy. And it just shows how wrong his family's comment was. His family called him selfish, but yeah. when given the opportunity to move to New York and further his career, his first thought is, are we taking my roommate with me? You yeah, know? what about the people who want who want to do the same thing I do, want to do? Chris is also a comedian, just not a very mm -hmm. good one. But yeah. he, still, he still cares about everyone else before himself mm -hmm. in so many situations, and... Yeah, it's why the your selfish comment from his parents seems to hit so much harder because it's just so untrue. Wrong. Yeah. They're not listening. They're just not listening to him. They don't see him for who he is as mm. opposed to as how he should fit into the cultural or traditional... Expectations. Expectations, yeah. That's a perfect word for it. 
you know, we get all of this change. We get that he's putting feedback into his one-man show from what Emily told him. You get that he's moving across country, but still had the thought, like, you know, the forethought to think about his housemate who he doesn't really like. I think I said roommate a couple times. Technically, he's a housemate that he doesn't really 100% like. He does another thing which is incredibly vulnerable and he crashes a family dinner at his parents house and despite the fact that they ignore him and literally no one talks to him in this moment no he still does it he walks in he goes i know you're all not allowed to talk to me because i'm technically disowned so i made some like postcards and he's got like past the salt and he does one for his mother that says always with the jokes because or always with the comedy because that's what he always says to him and then he does one and it's a very tension-breaking comedic moment in a otherwise devastatingly upsetting vulnerable moment where he has one that says i've always thought that kumal was more attractive than naveen and his brother goes bullshit and then immediately is like oh my god I'm not supposed to talk to you and he goes I will admit this one was designed to stir up a bit of controversy yeah. like it's but amusing I do love, yeah I do love that he his family may not respect his choices or understand his choices at the very least but he still understands them and mm-hmm. ultimately how to get through to them in a sense yeah. and it's it's powerful moment that illustrates also... that you know family and you mm-hmm. will know your family You will always know your family, and what it also illustrates is that he's made the transition fully from bystander in his own life, like passive bystander, Mm. to taking action and working towards the goals that he wants. He's accepted that Emily doesn't want him, he's accepted that no, so now he's moving for his career and for his family. Since that's all he can do Mm -hmm. in this situation. But then it it leads on to him doing his... One man man show, show. and the one man show goes really, really well because he finally starts talking about himself, and people enjoy, and his audience enjoy that listening about, hearing about him, and hearing about his family, and all of the stuff that he hears. And we get a really heartfelt moment where he's sitting in the back and he's wearing sunglasses, but his brother's there to see his one man show. Yeah, and his brother will still support him. Despite the fact that he's not allowed to talk to him, he still goes to yeah. see the show. And it harks back to before when his one-man show was bad, but his friends still went to go see it. Yeah, but it leads to the point in the film that, again, is a good touch of realism in that Emily goes to see it as well. Or she goes to see the end of it, and she goes to speak to him, and I saw this as... This was probably a point where, after she'd seen the YouTube video of him breaking down and goes to talk to him about it, I think she had the intention of taking him back. Yeah, it's but definitely lives, a Yeah, but their lives no longer aligned because he was moving to New York. And you can tell how painful it is for yeah. him to tell her that. Like, you can see there's a pause. She kind of goes, oh, what are you up to? Like, da-da-da-da-da, this is what I've been up to. And he goes, I'm moving to New York. And there's that, oh. Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy for you type of vibe. It's very awkward and And tender. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's like touching a tender wound and like, you gotta, you gotta open it to let it heal properly, but it still hurts to do it. Yeah. And at this point with like about 10 minutes left in the film, you, you almost get this feeling that 
it's going to end with just their lives no longer merged or were parallel to each other again and it just ended but because it never seemed to line up after that when Emily came out of a coma she didn't want to see Kumal ever again when she had come to terms with the change that he had gone through and is was ready to give it a second try he was leaving and he almost, was moving on yeah because he accepted her no like he yeah. wasn't holding on to that and you're almost given this sense that it's this melancholy ending and we we see him move away and it doesn't necessarily tie up loose end, the loose ends with his family but you're given an insight that the they're father, starting the, to make amends yeah the father speaks to him and says you're still removed from the family but they still show like evidence that they care the mom yeah. had cooked him a meal for his trip it's almost like the ending of a toy story movie where the happy yeah. ending isn't exactly what you would expect it to be like his family doesn't 100% take him back, but his mum cooked him something to take on his trip and yeah. allowed his dad to come and say goodbye. She still doesn't want to talk to him and won't even get out of the car or look at him, Yeah. but she cooked him his favourite meal and put extra potatoes in it because she knows that's how he likes it, you know? Yeah. And it's really nice that you get, like, it wasn't needed, but you get that sort of, it's not closure, but that, like, movement towards normalcy yeah. with his family again. And then in the same vein... Beth and Terry had that argument and just before they leave, in fact, while Emily is out to go see Kamal at the end of his one-man show, they show Beth moving from Emily's bed where it's sort of implied that she's been sleeping in the same bed as her daughter while they've been staying there yeah. to the couch with Terry. Yeah, where Terry has been sleeping. And I, I noted this down because it in, symbolically, it actually represents more than just their meeting each other eye to eye again, or you know she's forgiven him in any way. It's it symbolizes more than that because she she went out of her way to went, go and sleep in the probably less comfortable bed because she's meeting Terry's Terry, point of view, meeting halfway, willing to put the effort in to repair. Well, not so much that. I was actually going to say going making the extra effort to understand Terry or listen that's to Terry. That's a really that's a really good way of putting and it actually. I believe this is the case because like ultimately they can see each other from the doorway. She could have like patted the bed and gone, "Hey, why don't you sleep in this bed?" and for some, a couch bed is not the most comfortable thing in the world, so ultimately if she wanted to go with the more comfortable option she could have just shouted him over. Yeah. But she but instead she... gets up and goes to him. And I Which think that's is, beautiful. Yeah, the direct action of I am going to meet you halfway type of, yeah. that's the vibe that I got from it, because evidently in the last argument that they had, she was the one that made it something that wasn't about Emily. Yeah. Yeah. She was the one that said, well, some things are your fault. You know, like, she was the one that took it there. Yeah. And then she's the one to go to the bed. She's the one to meet him halfway. She's yeah, the one to, to make the you know. effort and and go the distance to be there for him. And mm -hmm. I like that. I really like that. Yeah. And the reason that I brought it up is because we're not necessarily getting the ending that we wanted in these, like, last 30 minutes. But we're no. getting some nice tie-ups to other loose threads like not everything's being tied into a nice bow but they're gathering all the loose threads and sort of giving you answers to what might happen yeah. after he moves i was gonna say even like the the terry and beth storyline we didn't even need 
an ending to that, but it's nice that we get one. Yeah, they don't they don't leave you guessing about anything. Yeah. They know that this has been a very emotionally taxing movie, <laughs> and they show you yeah. that it, they sort of harking back to the fact that you know when Beth was talking about the stuff that happened with her family, that everything will be all right. It might yeah. not be the same, but it will be all right. And I really like that through line of that theme of everything will be okay. And then we're pretty much at the end of the movie now. Yeah. He's in New York. He's doing stand up, and from the crowd, he gets a woohoo. And it's Emily who's yeah. come to New York to see him. And we get that sort of hark back to when she first heckled him by raising her hand, where he sort of talks to her yeah. in the same discussion that they had when he approached her at the bar to flirt, where he says, You know, it's not good to heckle comedians. Mm. Um, and she says, "But it was a compliment, a or yeah, but it was a woohoo." Yeah. And it's like he goes, "Heckling doesn't need to be negative to be heckling." And yeah. she goes, "So if I shouted, you're amazing in bed," and he goes, "Well, now you're getting more laughs than me." And they sort yeah. of have this back and forth before he asks her why she's come here. And she says, is it like, are you seeing someone? And she goes, oh, I came to look for someone. And he goes, oh, have you found him or her? I don't know who you're looking for. And she yeah. goes, yeah, I found him. And then we get credits. And it's this really nice, it's they found ending. each other again. Yeah, yeah I, I really like the ending because it's just so so sweet just to know that it it ends well mm. everything you've been through it ends well and that's just wonderful mm. and even in the credits the movie still gathers a couple loose threads where it shows you a picture of the real emily that yeah. kamal is married to who and I then it heard, shows you well hmm? who i also read helped write the story which makes sense you she was involved so. in it. <laughs> yeah. But um, from there, you get to see pictures of their Pakistani wedding. Yeah. Which then shows you even more tying up those loose threads that he does talk to his family again. Yeah. Mm. And it's it's nice to know that they're, like, as Beth said, it'll all be all right in the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And while this is a very emotionally taxing upsetting film the main themes are you need to stand up for yourself and you need to yeah. like be honest with yourself yeah. and everything will be okay in the end it's really really wholesome and it gives like a nice rounded off feel to the story you know there's a lot of harkbacks to conversations that they had at the start like yeah. there's the fact that his friends go to his stand-up even though they think it's bad and then there's the fact that his brother goes to his one-man show even though he's not supposed to talk to him yeah. there's the wine tasting where emily admits that she's overwhelmed by kamal and then there's when kamal is sitting with her parents and he says fruit forward because yeah. he got that from her he reiterates one of her lines at yeah. the very end of the film we get the same conversation they had in the bar which sparked it all as yeah. the fact that they saw each other again you know it's mm. a very well rounded oh, film that's probably a very good way to put it yeah it's it's just a beautifully well rounded film that is worth watching but with that we have reached the end of our talk about it 
Monique, mm. how did you how did you find the film? I found it really well. Um, I think I said it a couple times while we were talking, but I've watched this film three times in under a year, and yeah. I really love it. Every single time I watch it, I could watch it again. Um, I. <laughs> probably might watch it again because I kind of want my boyfriend to watch it and I feel like he won't watch it without me but it's one of those ones that I would recommend to someone and I would definitely save as like a a comeback to. I watched it I suggested that we watch it for the podcast and then I watched it again to take (laughs) notes and every single time I was right there immersed in the story yeah very very closely tied to real life and it's incredibly relatable i really really like it and as someone who has the medical background of being sick and not knowing what's wrong with you and having to go through all of that information to find it out like it really really is accurate to life and it it has this sort of relatability to it and Mm. fulfillment to it because of that yeah absolutely what about you? Uh, what did you think of the film? I'm going to say, well, I've, I've watched it fewer times than you, but I do genuinely feel that sense that it's not the kind of film that you get used to very easily. Mm. You come back and rewatch it and you'll, you'll enjoy it all the same for many, many rewatches to come. And it's, it's though harrowing and difficult and awkward in points, not by intention it's still a film that is very powerful and enjoyable to watch and i i really loved it i think that it's the perfect kind of film to watch when you feel like you've got nothing to watch Mm. because it fills time well and it's still something that you're going to enjoy if you've watched eight nine a hundred times i think it's definitely like a very odd form of comfort movie, but a comfort yeah, movie nonetheless. Absolutely. But what are you going to give it on a rating scale? Out of 10? Uh, on a rating scale, I would probably give it 8.5 slices of cheese. Yeah. Um, like I said, heartwarming, very, very real, and it just strikes a chord with me because of all of the medical stuff. So. Yeah. I actually gave it a higher rating score. I gave it oh. a 9 out of 10 slices oh, of cheese. That's not... our highest rating yet. <laughs> yeah, it's not a masterpiece. Sure, the cinematography is nothing to write home about. The music is fine. It's the story that makes it good. And I think that's a film needs a good story to be great. And I think this film has a great story. So it is great. Mm-hmm. Nothing more, nothing less. I think the good thing about this one, like, in comparison to the last movie we watched, yeah, or in other movies, there's very little to criticise. Yeah. Like, there's not a lot of times that we point at something as frustrating. A lot of everything that happens, and this might be just because it is based on a real-life story and is the retelling of something that happened, but there's nothing that is glaringly annoying or unresolved. Yeah. wouldn't other, like wouldn't otherwise need to be resolved or wouldn't be annoying if there was just better writing you know there's nothing like that to criticize yeah and i think yeah that's what makes this film so great but as we close out the podcast hopefully some of you managed to guess based on the hint from last week this week Mm. we've got another hint 
just oh. before you give that hint, oh, okay. yeah. um, I just wanted to say that last week's hint was obviously another film where the protagonist goes through great lengths to help a loved one in a coma. Yeah, um, I think that pretty much speaks for itself. Yeah, and now that you've heard us talk about the movie, I hope that was an accurate link. What's our link for this week? Will? So this week's link is uh, next week we're going to be watching another film where a woman is reliant on technology to live. Mm. Put your guesses down below. I'm super interested to see if people guess this one. We've <laughs> yeah. been a bit sporadic. Like, none of these are the same themes, I suppose you could say. So You can assume if you want to really guess this, then you're probably going to have to go on some kind of sporadic guessing at points. It's not but... going to be another genre similar, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, it's it's linked, but you could probably say it's tenuously linked. I feel like all of these will be tenuously linked. <laughs> yeah, but we've got to give them a challenge, so... Yeah, come on, guys. You're smart. You can figure it out. <laughs> but with that, we will close out. So thank you all for listening. See you next week. See ya.